The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregorati Show. I am so excited to be back with you guys. I've got a very cool guest that uh, I know you're going to get a lot out of. During the course of my life, because of the way I've lived my life, and because I've been, truth be told, very lucky, I have managed to meet such interesting people from all walks of life in all different parts of the world. And because of the nature of the type of person that I am, I'm, I'm always seeking, I'm always searching, I'm always open, I'm always experimenting. I developed this sense for those who have it and those who don't. And it could be referring to martial arts prowess, it could be referring to business acumen, it could be referring to some sort of X factor, like you know, something that everyone wants, whether it be those things I mentioned or some sort of esoteric knowledge or a, a character trait or an inner strength. There are many who claim to have these things, especially in today's world with the likes of influencers and everything we see on social media. media. Many people claim to have the answers, but it's been my experience that very few walk the walk. And so, as I said, I've developed a sense based on the number of people I've met that allows me to very quickly figure out if someone has it or if they don't. And today's guest definitely does have it. I knew instinctively before we even started the conversation, I could tell this guy's the real deal, but we recorded the episode maybe a month ago and he and I have become, uh, we started to become friends and, and we've been working together a little bit and the way he's conducted himself throughout the course of this time that I've known him has really confirmed for me that this gentleman is the real deal. He doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that you listen closely to what he has to say. And if it resonates with you, then please do get a copy of his book. I've read his book twice now and listened to the audio version and I've gotten a lot out of it. It's already caused me to make some changes in my life and change the way I've been moving through the world. And uh, I'm confident that it's going to continue to bring improvements into my life. So without further ado, here is Mr. Jeff Buener, who is the author of The Sultan's Seven Secrets. Please listen with an open mind and enjoy. Hey, everyone, welcome back. And I'd like you to please welcome Mr. Jeff Buener. He is the author of The Sultan's Seven Secrets. Jeff, I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks for inviting me on, Nick. I'm excited. Mm. As we we were discussing just before I hit record, I don't think I even mentioned this part to you, but it's been quite a challenging week for me due to several circumstances beyond my control. And I actually canceled. I had a, another guest this morning and I just was like, no, nah, I can't handle this right now. So I, I rescheduled that guest, but for some reason, I just felt... Looking at the notes of um, of your background, I was like, no, no, I really need to speak to this guy today. So I'm glad you made it. I'm glad I made it. 
And uh, I'm very excited to hear about your discoveries. As I also said to you before we started recording, I'm probably not going to be easy on you when it comes to it, because like I said, when it comes to the type of things that I, I think that you're going to be discussing, I consider myself an open-minded skeptic. But let's dive in. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about how you came to be the author of a book with the title of The Sultan's Seven Secrets. Well, it uh, goes back to when I was 33, so that's almost 30 years ago. I was a concrete contractor, just going through my life, not very happy. You know, I was that guy that you didn't even want to get to know, that maybe was in front of you at the red light with uh, an old pickup truck and a wheelbarrow in the back and a bucket of tools. And you probably didn't even want to make eye contact with me because you would rightly guess that I was surly and kind of not very personable. And that's where I was at a stage of my life where life was happening to me and I couldn't see any way to change it, but I desperately wanted to change so many things about my life, starting with making money, more money in a way that gave me more free time. My marriage was not going well because I was just working from early in the morning. I'd leave before anyone was awake, get home just in time to wolf down my dinner, shower and throw myself into bed. And I was working all the time, just trying to make ends meet and very frustrated, very frustrated with, uh, my life in just about every way you can imagine. So, okay. I, I understand. I mean, funny enough, I was just talking to a close friend of mine last night and I said to her that, you know, when I look at the world, the state of the world, our economic system, our capitalist society, it rewards the winners exceptionally well, but the winners are few. And for everyone else, it's actually a pretty, pretty dismal thing to be involved in. And True. I really do, I commiserate with how you felt as a 33-year-old man because there are many people in my life who are experiencing the exact same thing. These are good people. They've got good morals. They've got good, they're, they're kind, they're hardworking. And at the same time, something's got to give, right? They either have to have less and, and be unable to enjoy the finer things in life and provide what they really want to for themselves and their families. Or they've got to be burned out and busy all the time, right? There doesn't seem to be any real escape from that conundrum. And and what I said to my friend last night is like, there's obviously, I mean, this the system's pretty fucked up if, if that's what it's created. This this you know, like either or, you either enjoy the finer things or you you get burned out and have no time to enjoy them. Yeah, so I'd like to hear more about how you overcame this. Well, I'll tell you that, but what you just touched on is uh, profound because a lot of people are doing what they were told is the right thing to do. Work hard, pick something and go to work and work really hard. And that's what I was doing, but my life was terrible. I had no free time. I had no family time. I was really failing and flailing. And so I was disillusioned with, wait a minute, I'm doing it just like everyone said to. I had even gone to university. You know, I had, I had uh, done what 
all the older guys told me to do and now found myself in this crappy situation uh, with no way to change it. I mean, I was so locked in, Nick, to being a concrete contractor, I couldn't afford to quit. I mean, I had to finish the next job to get paid to pay for supplies two jobs back. And it was just this rat race that I couldn't get out of. I could see no way out of. So here's what happened. I was, uh, we started a new job and it happened to be for a very elegant couple. And they were obviously very wealthy. They were, I thought of them as very ancient and old, but they might've been younger than I am now, oddly enough. But they weren't just rich and doing well. They were warm and inviting, and they would talk to us, even though we're just lowly contractors, you know. I was talking to her one morning, and I just said, you have, you and your husband have everything I want in life, but I have no idea how to get it. And in that conversation, it started out positive, but very quickly, it devolved into me complaining and kind of bitching about my life, talking about how hard I worked, and yet I was still, you know, slowly going backward financially, and life wasn't fair. And right in the middle of my complaining, this elegant woman just turned around and walked away. And I was so embarrassed in that moment because I felt like finally I had an audience with someone who could tell me something, and I had blown it. But a few minutes later, she came back and placed a manuscript in my hands. And this changed every, everything for me. Okay, I got to stop you. I got to okay. stop you, Jeff. Okay, so first of all, I'm on tenterhooks here, on the edge of my seat. I'm not not exaggerating. How would I how would I put this in the most diplomatic way possible? Look, you're you're in America as well, from what I right. can tell. Right, you live in America, and you know, as I was discussing with you prior to us st starting the recording, I've heard so many stories that start in a similar way, which was you know I was down and out, or I was struggling, or disillusioned, and I'd followed all the rules, and then, you know, I met this old man by the side of the road who was <laughs> pumping gas and he gave me of whatever, whatever the story. I've heard so many of them. I've yeah. followed so many of these systems. What I've realized, um, a good example is, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad is, I read that when I was, I think, 19 years old. And I was like, okay, this is the secret passive income and create income producing assets. And, you know, like I followed that thing. And what I realized later is that the guy was just full of shit. Like he claimed to have this rich dad and a poor dad and how the rich dad had the secrets to money and wealth and everything. And it was, it was just bullshit. It was just a story he made up. It's subsequently been proven to be bullshit by journalists. So, and I've seen that repeated over and over again. So before I give you any more of my zealous attention, what I would ask you is to corroborate for me giving me your word as a man, is what you're telling me completely true and not embellished and exaggerated? Yes, 100%. I have no reason to embellish this. And Nick, I want to ask you a question. Do you know anyone 
in life who has some good things happening to them, whether it's in their relationship. Do you know any successful businessmen who are making no good money? Do you know anybody who's super fit and athletic and happy with their health? Anyone at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, on most of those criteria, I would say I'm one of them with the exception of making a, a large sum of money. But I have many people in my life who are extraordinarily successful and wealthy. Okay. So if you are not succeeding in a certain aspect of life, or maybe two or three or four that are important to you, it's easy to kind of think you run into someone who is succeeding and the evidence is there. They are succeeding. But if they start to tell you how, it may or may not fit your personality. You may not be able to follow that program. So then for you, it's like this rich, I've never read that book, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, so he's full of shit. I know lots and lots of guys who are good at typically one thing that they're really good at. Like my father was very good at making money, but he was, you know, he and I were never pals. I'd say, you know, as a, a father, I give him real low grades, but as a <laughs> businessman, he could go out and make money. And yet yeah. he also made it very clear to me at a very young age that he was never going to give me a nickel. Wow. That was his idea of getting me motivated to go out and be independent. And he only wanted independent sons. He didn't want dependents. Okay. So let's go back to, yes, there are people who are successful, but if you try to follow their path, you might find out that they're lying about how they became successful, or you might find out they're telling the truth, but you can't follow that path. Sure. Yeah. Actually, funny if it, what comes to mind is I have a, a friend who's a, a very successful property developer who, who, um, I mean, he owns 400 apartments here in Los Angeles and is exceptionally good at what he does. And, and when I was speaking to him a few years ago, he was convinced that I should become a, a real, like a real estate developer. And just the thought of that is just, there's no way it's just so not who I am. There's no, I have no interest in, in, in doing that. So that, as you said that that's just literally off the table. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to this story and this manuscript, mm -hmm. because I think you're going to like what this manuscript said. Okay. I'm sorry to have interrupted you. I just had to had to be aware of your sincerity. No, I I really appreciate it. Because you're not the only skeptic out there. You're not the only person getting his ass kicked in <laughs> at least one aspect of life to the point where you're like, "Wait a minute, I've done everything I can and I just cannot make this go right." And so if someone comes along and says, hey, if you do it like this, it'll work out. I want to give them the middle finger. No, it won't. Not necessarily. But that's how I felt about almost all of my life, every aspect of life. And I wasn't going to read this manuscript. When she handed it to me, I thought, lady, you have no idea how little time I have. I'm not reading your damn paper. Mm -hmm. But I took it home and I read the first page kind of on a fluke. And then I stayed up all night reading the whole thing and making notes. 
Okay. The manuscript told the story of the wealthiest man who has ever lived. This is Sultan Musav Mali. And I didn't know it at the time, but you can read about this guy in the history books. He's a real guy, lived in the 1300s. He was wealthier then than Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk combined. Mm. And he started out a dirt poor little boy because his father died when he was very young. And that condemned both him and his mother to extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. He was out on the streets, literally stealing food every day to stay alive. And at the Mm -hmm. age of 12, he falls in with an older thief who then tries to murder him. And he survives this murder attempt, but he has what we know as a near-death experience. And he meets in this near-death, out-of-body experience, he meets a man made of light and love who teaches him how the world works, how creation works, how the whole thing works. Mm -hmm. And he comes back, he survives this. The man made of light tells him that he has to go back, that he has a work to do among his people. So now he's back, but he still has nothing, you know, no safety net, no prospects, no opportunities. He's now a criminal. He helped rip off a a very wealthy family, but he doesn't have any of that wealth. The other guy took it all. But he he starts from there and applies these concepts that the man made of light taught him. Now, Nick, go back to me feeling the way I felt reading this manuscript. And there's something in it called the language of the gods. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a formula for how life works. And the reality is... When you speak this language, the world obeys your commands. It it just does. And I'll get into this. You'll see very clearly how it's true. Sign me up. (laughs) This language has nothing to do with the words that come out of your mouth or even the thoughts you think. It's a different language. And uh, to explain this, I need to throw in this element that you're going to find. If you're a skeptic now, man, you're going to really wonder what I'm doing to you. <laughs> My man, you're talking You're talking to someone. I want to make it clear. Remember, I told you I'm an open-minded skeptic. The open-mindedness comes from the fact that I'm the kind of person who flies to Peru and spends 10 days there drinking ayahuasca and basically talking to aliens. So oh, wow. okay. I, I'm skeptic, skeptic in a very open-minded, skeptical in a very open-minded way. Uh, so hit me, lay it on me. Well, I know you've achieved some unbelievable things. I mean, just, uh, you know, titles that you have are things that most people feel like, that. well, that's just out of my reach. No matter how hard I worked, I could never do what Nick has done. And you're going to start to relate to how you did what you did as we jump into these concepts. Okay. But here's the thing I wanted to uh, throw in, and that is that the Sultan Musav Mali is also the author of the fairy tale Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. Interesting. 
And Antoine Gallant was 100% honest about this. He never said that he wrote the story. He just translated it from an ancient text. But this text has all the elements of what the man made of light taught Musa embedded in the fairy tale. Hmm. And Musa did that literally to save his life because he not only lifted himself out of poverty, but he was dedicated to lifting the entire Mali kingdom out of poverty with these principles. And he did, by the way. But to talk about these things, he could have easily been killed. I mean, just think about saying, hey, I died yesterday, but then I came back to life. And while I was gone, I met God. And he taught me things that our scholars know nothing about. You just don't do that in the 1300s. Hell, you don't do it today. Mm. You could get in a lot of trouble. And even sultans, even when he was sultan, he could have gotten in a lot of trouble by talking crazy. Sure. Okay. But he, he used this fairy tale to talk about the concepts and if anyone called him on it or if they started getting mad at him he could say you know hey calm down i'm just uh, telling a story you know and he used it as a, a buffer but now let's go back to the elements of the fairy tale and i'll fill in the concepts okay and this will become very clear so The first thing he learned when he had his out-of-body experience is that he had two bodies, a spirit body and a physical body, but it was the spirit body that had the life. And when he quote-unquote died, all that happened was that his spirit body, the one with the life, popped out of the physical body. And when that happens, the physical body's worth nothing. It's just a pile of tissue lying there. It can't feel anything. It can't move. It's the spirit body that has life. The second thing he learned is that that spirit body is a literal child of God. It's immortal. It can never die. And he also learned, this is the third thing, that While he had two bodies, he also has two minds working simultaneously. The conscious mind, that's, you know, the one we think of as us. I think of myself as Jeff and I'm unique. I've got my likes and dislikes and, you know, you're Nick, you're the same thing. But we have another mind that he called the veiled mind. But we're familiar with the concept of a subconscious mind. And this veiled mind or subconscious mind really runs the show. It determines how our life is going to be. It holds all of our memories. It holds our personality. And it keeps our life congruent with what it believes to be true about us. And that's why I could come to you if I knew you very well and predict pretty much how you're going to react in any situation. You're going to be Nick every day, all the time, 
And you're not going to have very many wild uh, variances on how you act. You're Nick. And that's because your subconscious mind has a set of beliefs about you that it will keep true. So whatever it believes about you, that's the way your life is going to be, period. Understood. Here's a question. Who told it what to believe about you? Well, I mean, this this concept, Jeff, is is pretty pretty well known in, in the world of personal development that we are the conscious mind. The analogy I've heard is that it's like an, an iceberg. The conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg that's visible above the water and the subconscious. The much larger part is beneath the surface and that it it informs the, the structure. And this is a, a way it's ex- this explanation is used to describe how certain people they kind of have, for example, a set point for for money or wealth. Like, let's say the guy's set point is, I don't know, ten thousand dollars a month. No matter what he does, he's never going to go beyond that because the the subconscious belief system will always cause him to revert to that mean um, that's stored within it. So, so I'm very right. familiar with this this concept, and I mean, I'm inclined to believe there is some truth to it. So, yeah, please, please continue. Well, it's really easy to believe when you look at others and you see that, yes, that's how their life is. And you can see exactly why. I mean, take somebody who, for example, is surly and cross, and they believe that people are mean and not nice and won't share. And so they enter every interaction with this well, subconscious belief that people aren't nice. And so you can watch them and see very clearly, well, wait a minute, people are nice to me. And the reason they're not nice to you is because of you, the way you interact, what you bring, the scowl on your face, the words you say. So people treat you how you basically tell them to treat you. Agreed. But not in words, more in actions and looks and smiles or no smiles and, and all and of facial that. expressions. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, my mind is is racing ahead to the next question, which is you, you mentioned specifically it's easy to see it in others. Yes. But uh, I'm I'm guessing the other side of that equation is that it's extraordinarily difficult to see it in yourself because by by very virtue of the fact that it's it's your own subjective set of cognitive biases and dissonances and belief systems that there's no real way to say, okay, these are my subconscious beliefs, right? Like you can't just objectively look at them the way you can look at those of others. That's correct. And yet you can start to get a sense for, for example, you know, looking back at where I was working hard as a concrete contractor, I can tell you that I had at that time a subconscious belief that the only honorable way to make money was to work hard for it physically. I had that subconscious belief, and I know where it came from. I grew up on a farm. Uh, We all bragged and talked about how hard we worked, and we would count the number of bales we would haul in a summer and, and compare with each other. And we didn't like city people that made their money without working for it. We looked down on them. We had names for them. That was dishonorable. We believed that 
you know, pitch men and guys who made their money without working hard were dishonorable. And so I went into my adulthood with this subconscious belief that I had to change if I was going to change how I made money and how I looked at making money and how I felt about myself making money without, you know, going to work for 12 hours a day and working physically for it. But here's the thing about subconscious beliefs, and I'll, I'll get back to the manuscript in a minute because we're already off course a little on that. And I'm just going to jump into your subconscious mind rules your life. It just does. And every one of your subconscious beliefs was set by an event or a series of events that were accompanied with really strong human emotion. And so, for example, if you were a little boy and uh, you attempted something and it went right uh, and people cheered for you, then you felt like, oh, I'm good at that. That's me. I I'm good at this. And so you felt like, you know, a subconscious belief was formed that you could continue to perform at that and do well. On the other hand, if you tried something, you know, like got up to give a talk and somebody snickered and you lost your place and you froze up, that might have been such a horrible event that from that time on, you had a subconscious belief that it was terrifying and horrible to get up in front of a crowd and perform. Now, Nothing has changed about the way your subconscious beliefs are formed. So people who say, oh, all your subconscious beliefs were set by the age of seven, that is BS. Nothing has changed. You still have subconscious beliefs being erased or set by events that carry with them really strong emotion. Now, here's what was in that manuscript. Basically, it outlined how this works and how you can change any subconscious belief by creating an event that makes you feel uh, quite strongly about it, that has powerful emotion tied to it. An emotional charge. Yeah. Now, you can't look to reality to do this because your life is already congruent with your reality. And people think, well, I feel deeply about my life because my reality is what it is. But Nick, it's the exact opposite that is true. Your life is what it is because you feel deeply that that's the way it's supposed to be, or that that's what you deserve, or that that's what is you. So once you understand that you can change any subconscious belief, I mean, just start there. Let's say you just believe me. There's a formula for changing a subconscious belief. It's like being able to get into the control panel of your subconscious mind, rewrite a program any way you want it to be. And I'm going to tell you how to do this in a second. Mm -hmm. And then you hit enter 
You close the panel door and that new program starts to run. And that is your new life in that aspect of life. And just like before, when you felt like, no matter what I do, I end up in this type of relationship or in this type of situation, and I can't do anything to not have it be like this. Well, once the new program is running, you're going to feel the same way, but the results are going to be what you want. So let's Mm. get into how you do this. Do you want to? Sure is and and is this how you do it? Is it the seven the seven steps from the Sultan? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No. I'm I'm all ears. I I do largely buy the hypothesis that uh, we are basically running on subconscious programs. We are. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, yeah. I think more important, or well, not more importantly, but I, I think there's something before we figure out how to change them. I would be interested to know if there's a system for identifying them, like figuring out, like, you know, some of us can just instantly recall, okay, there was a period in my childhood or there was an event in my childhood where my dad didn't give me pocket money and I was upset and it had an emotional charge or whatever that might be. But some of these things are lost to us. They're lost uh, to our memories because they happened when we were very young or we weren't paying attention when it happened. Or So what, I guess my first question is, what's the process of going about Before you even try to fix these things, how do you find out what specifically has to get fixed? All right. It's very easy. There are only about eight aspects of life. Eight. I kind of ran through that fast, so I don't know if I was very clear, but the number eight, there's, there's that many aspects of life. Not all of those are going good or bad. They're just going and you're okay with it, but there's probably three to four things that you look at that you think, well, it's not terrible, but I want it to be better. Or maybe you look at an aspect and say, it's terrible. This has got to change, or I'm, I don't even want to live. And maybe there's some things you can look at and you can say, you know, I've always just had an easy time at this. This always goes well. It's going well now. It always has. I just, I know for a fact, it's all, I can always figure that part out and make it go well. So it's as simple as asking yourself, what don't I like? What would I like to change? You know, if I had a magic wand in my hand, what would I point it at? Or if I had a magic lamp and three yeah. wishes, how would yeah. I change it? You know? Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that's a great answer that I think that is an, an, that answers my question perfectly. It's just look at these eight aspects and you figure out which ones aren't going well. And then you start to dig a little bit deeper with the ones that aren't going well, because there must be some subconscious belief that's tied to an emotional event that ha- occurred in your past. Right. There, there absolutely is. I mean, let me just uh, throw out a little, sto- an example. So Let's say you're in a relationship and it's just bad. It's been bad. I mean, maybe it started out good, but within just a year or two, it's bad and it's been bad for 10 years. And it's so easy to see how it stays bad. So let's look at that first and then I'll talk about how you change it. Okay. So you walk into the house and there's your spouse or sweetheart or significant other that you've been with a long time and things are not good. 
And because you're both hurting, you want the other one to know that you're not happy. So the second you see each other, one or the other says something that's less than loving. And maybe it's cutting, maybe it's pointing out, you know, hey, you told me you'd do something yesterday and see it's still not done. And, and you know, this makes me feel like I can't trust you. And so then that makes you feel bad. So you say something like, well, you do that too. You know, you told me a week ago that you do then, then you didn't. And so now here you go round and around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're feeling bad. You're making her feel bad. She feels bad. So she's making you feel bad. And this thing is just going to spiral downward forever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you change something. But you can't look to reality again to change it because. You know, you can't even imagine liking this person after 10, 20, 30 years of this turmoil. You're not even sure you want them to like you now. (laughs) But here's how you change that particular situation. And we're going to go into now your superpower. Your superpower is your ability to imagine and pretend with intensity. So let's say that you want to fix this relationship. The way you do it, if you use the seven secrets, is you create an imaginary perfect sweetheart. So you take your wife, who you're not getting along great with, and you literally make like Jill number two. And you imagine and identify and even write down, how would Jill treat me if she were perfect, the way I wanted her to be? How would she treat me if she treated me the way I wanted to be treated all the time? And you start to imagine this and you spend time with Jill. You have her sit in the car with you when you're driving all alone. And you imagine this perfect sweetheart telling you how great you are, how wonderful you are, how handsome you are, pointing out all the good things you do. And Nick, maybe you haven't heard this in 10 years, 20 years, maybe you even shock yourself by what this imaginary sweetheart says to you, but it's going to feel good. And after half an hour of being with Jill number two, you feel better than you did a half an hour ago. And now you come into the house and there's Jill number one, and she says something insulting, but you feel differently than you did before. You've been with Jill number two all day, telling you how great you are. So instead of reacting the way you would have, you say something along the lines of, you know, you're right. I I should do better. I should really, you know, uh, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I really should do it. And I'm going to work on that. All right. You break the the loop, basically. You break the loop. Jill's not used to you acting like that. And maybe the second you do that, she says, oh, my gosh, you know, I'd really appreciate that. And I know I do the same thing, and I'm going to work on that, too. And the next thing you know, if you do enough of this, that relationship can start to spiral upward instead of downward. Mm. So that's just kind of the basics, but let's go back to the fairy tale. 
Okay. There's three main elements, really four, but I'm going to focus on three of them. You've got Aladdin, who represents the conscious mind. Mm. And you have this all-powerful genie who can get you anything you want. He can get you, he can design and create your life any way he wants to, but you have to talk to him in the language he understands and obeys. Mm. That brings us to the magic lamp. The magic lamp represents knowledge of how the conscious mind communicates with the subconscious mind, Mm -hmm. how the subconscious mind is in charge of your life, and how you command it, or basically tell it what to believe. Because once it believes something about you, that's the way it's going to be. But you can tell it what to believe. And you tell it in a specific language. This is what the magic lamp represents. And that language is not words, it's not thoughts, it's feelings. So think about it. Right now, you feel a certain way about your finances, you feel a certain way about your health, you feel a certain way about your relationship. And If you're honest, your relationship and your finances and everything else line up perfectly with how you feel about them. Sure. Hey, now, like I said before, you think it's because, well, yeah, I feel that way about my bank account because it's getting low. So, yeah, I feel nervous about money. Well, you feel nervous about money forever. And it's the exact opposite. Your bank account reflects exactly how you feel about your finances. Hmm. So the whole trick, the whole trick is changing how you feel about anything. And what your subconscious mind believes every one of your feelings. I'm going to repeat this. Your subconscious mind believes the language of feelings and keeps your life congruent with your predominant feelings. That's what it does. So if you dramatically change how you feel about your relationship, for example, that relationship is going to change. Just like the example I gave earlier. If you change how you feel, you're going to say things that you wouldn't have said before. You're going to act differently. We act on our feelings. And the way we act and the things we say dictate how others act back to us and what doors open up and what we're looking for and things we wouldn't have even been looking for before or seen if they were there. Now that we feel differently, We do see new opportunities. We do run into different people. We receive those people and what they say differently. Mm -hmm. Okay, look, sounds good. In theory, it sounds good. It's not a tough sell for me to believe that, you know, if you're a positive person and you put good energy out there, generally the world reflects and mirrors back to you. You're shifting the 
possibility of things to be positive in your life in your favor, right? If you walk around with a smile on your face, generally people are going to be friendlier back to you. But let's talk Turkey, right? There's a there's a woman. I go to the Target next to my house sometimes to grocery shop, and there was a, a young lady, young Hispanic lady, who was my cashier. She was checking me out, and I just started small talk with her, and she was telling me how you know, she had to take the bus two hours each way to work and then she had to go pick up her son and drop him off at school each day. And and basically she wasn't complaining. She was just describing the logistics of her life. And it was, it was, it was difficult. She was like a working this menial job, supporting her son, uh, working long hours, not getting paid very much. Now, how do you tell someone like that? Hey, just feel better about your life and money. Just, just feel better. Like, just imagine it as all being roses. Like, you know, I, I do you have do you have examples, real world examples of people using the system and actual tangible specific results that happened from using it? I guess is my my question. Yes. They come in every single week, if not every day. This is such a simple concept. And Here again, I want to throw out an example because uh, I think these help clear things up. It's all about how you see yourself. And and I'm talking on on a subconscious level. Everybody sees themselves as a certain way. They see the world a certain way and they see their place in it a certain way. And the way they see it is the way it's going to be. Earlier, you threw out the example of somebody making $10,000. They've never made more than that. And they just subconsciously believe that that's kind of their ceiling. Okay, that's how they see themselves. But I know people who see themselves as guys who make at least 100 grand a month, and they will not accept anything less. If they lose one opportunity to make a hundred grand a month, they will go until they just simply find another one. They are not going to accept anything less than that because that's how they see themselves. Look, you uh, have been in the world of fighting, right? Mm -hmm. You're a fourth degree black belt. You, You know, you've seen men in conflict. So one guy, somebody squares up with him and starts being aggressive towards him. And he's going to act a certain way. He's either going to turn away. He's going to put his hands up and, and let you know that he's afraid. He's not confident at fighting. He doesn't want to fight. And you're going to know within a fraction of a second that if you rip into this guy, you're going to win. Sure. Now, and it's because he sees himself as someone who can't fight. Now, we'll come back to, you know, there's all kinds of evidence maybe in his life that he can't fight. But fine, let's just say he turns like that because he sees himself as someone who can't fight. You, somebody gets aggressive with you, you see yourself as someone who absolutely can handle just about anybody you square up, you tell that person, Hey dude, you need to calm down or something bad's going to happen to you. I don't want to hurt you, but I will. If I have to, you act completely different. Why? Because you see yourself 
differently. You're you are a fighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, I see my yeah, I see myself based on on prior evidence and experience. Like, you know, a friend of mine, funny enough, it was that same gentleman, um, the property developer, like we were talking about confidence and he was saying like, yeah, confidence is confidence without the ability to back it up is meaningless. Like he, he said, the example he used was, you know, I could say that I've, I, I could be incredibly confident in playing a tennis match against Roger Federer, but the reality of the situation will, if that happened would very quickly be revealed that confidence and the way I see myself, I mean, what's the difference between seeing yourself a certain way and, and just like delusion, right? Like, and I'm, I'm being, again, I'm being well, difficult on delusion. you, Jeff, uh, but uh, I'm, it's because I really want to get to the truth of this. That's why I'm asking these challenging okay, questions. Okay, then, then let's go to uh, another example. Uh, and I'll use this example. Uh, you're watching a Little League football game. And the kids are getting creamed. They can't do anything right. The other team's just running over them. And they go into the locker room at halftime. And the coach gives them the pep talk of their lives. And they come out a new team. It's like these are new kids, not even playing the same way. They're hitting harder all of a sudden. They're executing the plays. They're running faster, tackling. And they start to close that gap, and they win by a touchdown. Well, what happened in that locker room? That coach changed the way those kids saw the game, saw their ability to play, the way they saw themselves in relationship to football and what they could achieve. And they came out feeling differently. That's it. They came out feeling differently. So take delusion out of it. You know, these kids don't believe they can go beat the the Buffalo Bills, but they believe now that they can beat this other little league team in front of them. Yeah, good example. Yeah, got it. And so you can do that with yourself by identifying some things that you want out of life and then start using your God-given gift. It's how you've learned and achieved about everything to pretend and imagine and imitate, it's all kind of wrapped into one, and you can start seeing yourself uh, doing better in that aspect of life. And all that's going to happen, if you spend a few minutes seeing yourself and imagining with intensity that even though you've never made more than 10000 a month, something happened and last month you made a hundred grand. And you can imagine that and feel what it would feel like to have made a hundred grand last month. Even though you know that that imaginary scenario that makes you feel what it would be like to make a hundred grand is totally make-believe. It's not real, right? What about the feelings you just produced of making a hundred grand last month? Are those real? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you better believe it. And if you spent enough time imagining and feeling with intensity what it's like to make a hundred grand, it would start to change how you feel on a subconscious level about making a hundred grand. 
You can do this with any aspect of your life, and it's absolutely magic what happens. Everything you want out of life, Nick, is out there. An opportunity to make 100 grand a month, it's out there. Uh, the perfect sweetheart, she's out there. Your subconscious mind, though, will not bring her to you as long as you as long as it believes that that's not the kind of relationship you're supposed to have. And it won't bring you the idea to make a hundred grand a month as long as it believes that you are a ten thousand dollar a month guy. Okay, so let's say those listening accept this premise like let's get into the mechanics of the system so is is that all there is to it it's just spending a few minutes a day thinking about um, imagining what it would be like if you had these things that you wanted and and feeling what it would feel like and that's it or, or is there more to it that's it because of where that leads so when i read this manuscript i set aside two hours every morning to identify the, the way I wanted it to be. I got pictures. I made dream sheets and dream boards. But for two hours every morning, I would imagine life being exactly the way I wanted it to be. And generating those feelings of this, that's what it would feel like if I had that kind of money, if I had that kind of relationship, if I had that kind of business that's what it would feel like. And well, as I'm generating those feelings, they feel great, right? Sure. So the next thing, I could never stay in the bathtub doing my imagination therapy for the whole two hours I set aside because I would get so excited <laughs> that I'd have to get out and go do something, go call someone, talk to someone, read something. Yeah, uh, go over to a, a plant or a business and check it out. And so, when you generate these feelings that that feel good, they're motivating. They lead you to take action. We act on our feelings. That's how it works. If you feel like doing something, you do it. If you don't feel like doing it, it stays on your to do list forever. So true. You're changing. So you're changing the way you feel about making money, for example. And the next thing you know, you're talking to people different. I'm going to give you a real world uh, Please. story about what happened to mm. me. So I started imagining myself being a young, gregarious entrepreneur on the come making you know $86,000 a month that was my number i don't know why i picked <laughs> that number but it turned me on <laughs> you know it was specific and i pretended for significant time every day not just in the bathtub but when i was driving around i would pretend that my life was the way I wanted it to be right now. So I was in my little silver Mercedes instead of my old work truck, all in my imagination, making 86000 a month, going to something where I was pitching 
something to an important group of people. And this, by the way, was a real imaginary scenario that I would do every day where I was standing in front of 30 very important people pitching something. I didn't know what, but at the end of my presentation, they would jump to their feet and clap and cheer. And I knew that I was going to make millions of dollars, you know, lots of money. All right. So I'm still me, right? I'm still going to work as a concrete contractor, but all day I'm pretending to be a different guy and seeing it and feeling it. So I go to lunch with my crew. While there, I look over, there is the wife of an old friend from university that I hadn't seen for about 10 years. She's with all of her, you know, cute little friends, all dressed up nice. They all came in their nice cars. I'm in my filthy work clothes. Prior to this, I would have snuck out the back and not been been seen by her. But I felt differently about being an entrepreneur. I was on the come. I was looking for my next big deal. And I walked right up to her and said, hey, how's Brian doing? I need to get with Brian. And she gave me his phone number. And when Brian and I got together, we talked about business. I had actually had a premonition prior to that to call Brian, but I didn't have his number. And then a couple of weeks later, I see his wife. I hadn't seen her for years. Now I do. Anyway, as I talked to Brian, he had half of a business idea and I had the other half and it started to formulate in our minds. And he put together uh, a time for me to give a presentation to the people he worked for, this giant firm that sold money-making ideas and businesses, home-based businesses to people. And before long, I find myself standing in front of about 30 of their executives, and I'm giving this presentation on the vending business, which I had been in. I'd play some vending machines. And at the end of this presentation, everybody jumped to their feet, clapping and cheering. And Brian and I had a brand new business that made us hundreds of thousands a month. And, you know, my whole business situation changed in that instant. And yeah, I'm sure you got your silver, your silver Mercedes as well. Yeah, oh yeah, I got, I got the home and the car and all of that came pretty quick after starting to make that kind of money. But my life, a year after I started imagining it, specifically a certain way with intensity, there's a certain level of intensity that you have to achieve, and that's in my book. As soon as I did that, about a year later, I had everything on my dream sheet in real life. Wow. That's incredible. So there's mine and I've had about a hundred thousand of them since. Okay. So here's, here's the $86,000 question. Okay. It's a good number. <laughs> you know, I once heard it put, put really well, which was if you found, you know, when, whenever you see people advertising on the internet with a like a, a get rich guaranteed formula or system. 
right? It's very enticing, right? Because, you know, like that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants to be wealthy. Everyone wants to be wealthy quickly. Everyone wants, pretty much everyone wants that. Now, I once heard it said, okay, let's say you discovered the secret to, to wealth. You discovered this amazing system. Would that be the first thing you would do? Would, would, you, would you put out a, an advert saying like, here, you can get it from me? I mean, the answer is obviously not. The vast majority of people would just protect that thing for all it's worth because, I mean, it is literally, that would be the most valuable thing in the history of the world, right? And that's why I'm always skeptical of, of systems promising riches or wealth or whatever, because it just, it, it doesn't make sense that like, if you find something like that, you'd want to go and sell it to store, you give it away. And, and so my question for you, Jeff, and I'm very interested to hear what your answer is, is why, you know, the skeptic in me is like, yeah, this is, this sounds cool. It sounds awesome. But at the end of the day, the dude's trying to sell a book, right? Like, I mean, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm, being straight up. I'm giving you. a book away. I don't make any money on this book. <laughs> Look, I was, I just used this personally to have a great life. I've had a magical life because I understand that I can tell my subconscious mind what kind of a life to go create for me and it will do it. Along the way, I've had a steady stream of people knock on my door because they could see the house, the car, the way I carry myself, and they'd come over and say, hey, why are you so happy? You seem to succeed. How are you doing it? So I would share this, this with them. It's the only thing I have. And I would share the seven secrets with them. They would invariably change their lives. I can tell you stories about one guy told me he was going to commit suicide. He had set a date. And after telling him these concepts and getting him to play the game that changes everything, I call it, for one hour every morning, he got so excited about life and happy with life that he would never commit suicide now. He's independently wealthy. He's doing great. Everything in his life changed over time. And he's happy so and this happens to about everybody who does this and that and that investment um you've said is an, an hour a day of, of following the system i guess um, that's what it, it started out being two hours a day for me but then i realized that you don't have to sit in one place you can do this game that changes everything while you're in your car you can do it all the time i'm doing it right now i mean you can you can do it Anytime, anywhere. Okay. And how long approximately, and I know you can't give a definite, uh, I guess it's just my logical mind, my my skeptical mind is is looking for concrete like parameters. How long approximately before people start to notice changes? Let's say they do this in earnest. Well, the first thing that's going to change is how you feel about something. And you're going to notice that happen very quickly. And you're just going to know you know what? I feel differently about my relationship. Nothing has changed in the physical realm, but I feel differently. And you'll notice that because you feel a lot differently, you act differently. You are looking, you're accepting different things and rejecting certain things. Like I will not 
put up with that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. And you notice that happening right away. And then you start to see the evidence of your new behavior and the new way you talk and the new things you're looking for. And you find them and they come to you and you start to, you start to see based on what was happening a month ago that, wow, things are different. They're changing. They are. And then that leads you to feel even more confident about it, more, you know, better and better and better and more and more and bigger things begin to happen. And, uh, you don't have to get to the end result to be happy. In fact, think about any journey you take, anything you try to accomplish. Once you know you're on the way and you've committed to that way of life that you think is awesome and you're really happy about it, you're happy right now. You, know, you don't have to be a fourth degree black belt to finally be happy about the fact that you're learning these skills that you're able to use and perfect. And, and every time you learn one, it's fun and exciting. You don't have to have learned all 400 before you feel good about that lifestyle you're pursuing and the things that are happening for you, the people you're meeting, the people that are training you and teaching you. You can feel great about it your first year, your first month, just that you're on that path that you think is cool and you're doing it. You're learning it. You're on your way. Well, Jeff, I, for one, will, will give this a try. There's one or two. I'm generally pretty happy with my life, but there's one or two areas that I definitely feel aren't up to par and that I'm, I'm willing to try. And then you've made a, a very good case for, for this particular system. And you know, seeing you at the start of the call, we, we, we were on video, you just, I could instantly tell that you were a happy and content person. And that's always, it always lend, lends credibility to, to things like this. So I really thank you for your time. If, if the listeners want to find out more about you and, and your book, where, where's the best place for them to go? They can download the book today. I think it's $2. We were going to give it away for free, but we want the website to kind of support itself. So it's two bucks. It's almost free. You can download the book at the Sultan's Seven Secrets. Not even the, just Sultan's Seven Secrets, the number seven. And you can download the book and be speaking the language of the gods tonight and all day tomorrow. And I promise you, when you're speaking that language, your life is going to change. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Nick. It's been fun to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, it's been fun. So one of the things I'm always looking for when I'm introduced to one of these people who claims to have answers is I'm looking to see if the way they conduct themselves and their presence is congruent with what they're claiming. So if someone claims to have found the answers to health, then I want to see, does this person look healthy? If they're claiming to be a relationship expert, I want to see that they're in a stable, happy, loving relationship and that they've been in one for a while. If they're claiming to be a jujitsu master, let's get on the mat. Let's see what you can do. And when Jeff popped up on 
the recording software on Zoom, when I started the call, I instantly knew I saw this guy and I could just tell, you know, sometimes you, you're able to see what was that movie in, in um, that Marvel movie Endgame when Thor, and if you haven't seen it, Thor goes and, and uh, it's a Thor from a different timeline. He goes and visits his home world and sees his mother and his mother just instantly realizes that it's not the Thor from that timeline. And she says, you're not, you're not my Thor, are you? And he can't believe that she figured it out. And she said, I see with more than just eyes, boy. And, you know, I, I don't claim that I'm able to do that often, but there are times in my life where I can see with more than just eyes. It's like, a, it's not necessarily a voice that speaks to me, but just something tells me like, a, I get this very clear message that this person is X, Y, or Z. Sometimes it's a negative. It's sometimes it's stay away from this person. Sometimes it's uh, this person and you are not compatible. You should not be interacting with them. And then in other cases, as in the case with Jeff, I get a very clear message that this guy's got something for you and this guy's the real deal. And he really does. This, this, this guy's picked up on something. His, his message, his philosophy, and the story of the Sultan, uh, there's a lot of overlap with things I've experienced in my own life, it, like strange coincidences and I'm at the stage in my life where I'm getting a little bit older now and I don't, I don't want to keep going down the same routes that I've gone down to achieve what I want to achieve. And those routes are generally like hustling and working incredibly hard. I've done that my whole life and I've had some success. You know, sometimes I've had like good success, made good money or achieved something that I wanted to achieve, but generally it's mixed can never really tell when it's, whether it's going to be successful or not. But one thing I do know is that as I'm getting older, I have less and less energy and also less and less desire to hustle in that way, to just grind things out and just do things from my super logical, rational, from the super logical, rational part of myself. I, I'm now really more and more interested in doing things from my gut and working with my subconscious and getting the universe to assist me it just appeals to me more and it just feels right so jeff's message and that talk came at the exact right time and as i said i've already noticed some things happening in my life that lead me to believe that there's a lot of truth to this so i really hope you guys give jeff's book a go there's nothing in it for me if you get his book except that uh, hopefully you'll get something out of it and then get in touch with, with me and we can share our experiences. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of the show and I'll be back soon. Until next time, remember, we're all alone in this together. 